Remember Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. She says, all who hate me love death. Good morning and welcome to Chinook Podcast. We are here today to um, continue our various discussions on theology, on politics, on culture. This one in particular will be on culture. And uh, yeah, as as we're doing these podcasts, our, our hope and desire is that just like the Chinook winds blow off the mountains of Alberta and thaw out the icy frozen wasteland so God would <laughs> blow by his Holy Spirit and thaw out the frozen icy, icy wasteland of our of our hearts and the heart of our nation. Um, so yeah, anyway, I'm Nathan Zeckfeld. I'm uh, pastoring here at Christ Covenant Church and I have with me uh, Brad Donovan and Jamie Souls. Um, together we're leading Christ Covenant Church. Um, yeah, and I'll just uh, let this get rolling. Yeah, so uh, should we... Should we do our book reviews? We should do our book reviews. I do enjoy the book reviews. Yes. Yes. I, I, could, talk there, Brad? I could talk forever about books. <laughs> of, of the discussing of books, there is no end. Yeah. Okay, so for today's book recommendation, this is a book by Larry Seidentop called Inventing the Individual, the Origins of Western Liberalism. Uh, this is a great book. He points something out. Uh, that the idea of the individual that we have in our West, Western consciousness is a thing that was invented by the church. The ancients did not have a perception of the individual like what we do. Hmm. And uh, so in this book, he, he, he traces the history of this idea of the individual. He starts with the world of antiquity. He talks about the ancient family, the ancient city, and the ancient cosmos. And then he talks about the moral revolution that is Christendom. Uh, he discusses the Apostle Paul. He discusses things like uh, what, uh, how do we define heroism? Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about Augustine, monasticism. Then uh, he talks about the, uh, the barbarian invasions in the West and how that shaped uh, our thinking and how the, the church's response to those barbarians shapes our thinking. Uh, he talks about feudalism. He talks about uh, the papal revolutions, about uh, the reform movement of the 11th century, a bunch of stuff. And then uh, he finishes off with uh, a chapter entitled Dispensing with the Renaissance. Ah. So that's interesting. The whole thing. Sounds good. It is. Um, the entire book is, is, is a very interesting, thought-provoking read. I recommend it to you. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. The because uh, ideas they all come from somewhere. Mm-hmm, yes, uh, the the things that we think are like self evident. We're not always self. We're not always self evident, and mm-hmm. and it took some developed thought to get from where we were once to where we are now, mm-hmm. and it's really worth our while to be able to track some of that out. I think. Yep, it's a it's a it's an engrossing read. Hmm. I I enjoyed it the first time I went through it, and yeah, every, every reading. What's the name again? Uh, Inventing the individual: the origins of Western liberalism by Larry Seidentop. Okay. Oh, that's Good. interesting. Yeah, it uh, it's a book that bears rereading. Good. Yeah. 
Uh, I also want to recommend a book that uh, that bears rereading. I remember reading back in probably 2001 or 2002, reading the book by Philip Jenkins called The Next Christendom. Um, That's a very good book. In, uh, oh, yes. In that book, uh, Jenkins laid out... Uh, well, a whole number of different things uh, about where in the world the Spirit is moving and what God seems to be doing. Uh, he had a number of uh, a number of examples that he gave of uh, when he we talked about like explosive growth for the church in other parts of the world while things are decaying back here. Um, I just remember this being a profoundly encouraging read. You know, I grew up in in evangelicalism in Western Canada, and it was so deeply pervaded by the notion that the end was upon us, that you couldn't, uh, no one thought along these lines. Right. Right, because we weren't expecting the gospel to be affecting the world. We were expecting to be a, a small huddled <laughs> remains that God is going to whisk us out. Right. That's what we were expecting. Uh, and yet, yet here he, uh, he points to, to the moves of God around the world. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this before uh, with regards to places like China. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, you know, when the missionaries left there in, in 1948, they figured there were 50,000 Christians in China. And when we got back in in 2000 or so, they figured there's uh, a couple hundred million of them. <laughs> uh, well, what happened? Something happened. The Spirit of God happened and, and moved yep. mightily in that land. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I just remember this being a profoundly encouraging book. Yes, uh, because uh, God, God is not dependent on me. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not. This uh, is true. Uh, you know, I. I am not I, necessary to His plan for salvation. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm. I'm not at the center of this. Yeah, He's doing what He's intending to do, mm-hmm. and you know, if the if the church in Canada is going to survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a matter of us. Uh, we, we can't just keep doing the status quo. Mm-hmm. We need to return to the Lord. Yes. We need to bow the knee to the Lord if we're going to survive even. You know, if, uh, if the Spirit moves greatly... In Brazil or in in uh, Central Africa, uh, and that's that's really where uh, where his work is going on centrally, and and we feel like we're languishing here. Well, there there are ways out of languishing, and they all, almost all have to do with repentance and faith <laughs> and walking uprightly. Yes, one of the things I found interesting in his uh, in his book was his discussion of East Africa. Because he talks about how 85% of all Anglicans are in East Africa. Yeah. And it's really funny to me because I've, uh, over the past number of years, worked with a number of guys from Rwanda and Burundi. Mm-hmm. 
and they're all either Anglicans or Roman Catholics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these guys who come and they work out in the oil patch. Yeah. And these poor guys, they've never seen 50 below. And then they invariably see 50 below and they're looking at me like I'm insane. And I'm like, well, but you come from Africa where it's hot. Like what's wrong with you? I couldn't work in, in that heat. And they're like, well, how do you survive in this cold? And I'm like, well, lots of caffeine. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, um, the funny thing about Rwanda, Burundi, right? 94 was this horrible genocide, Yeah. right? Yeah. And now, upwards of a million people, yeah, machete to death mostly, yeah, right. It was a very personal genocide. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, this year, well, this last year, Gafcon had their big meeting in Kigali, Rwanda. Yeah, Uh, these places, the World Anglican Group. Yeah, Yeah. these these places are having uh, now what twenty years, twenty years on from from the, the Civil War, thirty. 30 years is on it 30? Now. Yeah, it'd be 30 years. How's my math? Yeah, my math is terrible. That's 30 years. So these people are having reformation, revival, a work of the spirit. You go you go wandering around in Burundi or Kigali, uh, Rwanda now, and it's, it's they're nice places. Mm-hmm. Like these people are, yeah, it's crazy. Well, and what I find fascinating about the phenomenon that's described in that book is... <clears throat> So uh, you you go to places like Brazil, Kenya, places like that. I think you have much greater hope, uh, visibly speaking, for a Christian nation Mm -hmm. at this time in Kenya or Brazil than than you do in the States or in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of Christians will lament um, the death of Christianity in the West, and uh, I think that's often accompanied by a resistance or a, a sort of resistance among some to immigration. Uh, maybe there's good aspects of, of that resistance to immigration. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually in the immigrant churches that we might find the, the hope for the future of, our, of Christianity in our nation. Because mm-hmm. in many ways, it's the immigrant churches that are, um, are, are still have, uh, in many ways, conservative and Christian values mm-hmm. that the, the white Western churches have lost. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I, I remember when I was in Scotland many years ago, I, uh, I was reading, um, it was a magazine that the Kirk put out. It was like their, their magazine, their publication. Right. And they had an article about what do you do when you run into um, a missionary from Africa? Right. In and Scotland. this is the Scottish Presbyterians talking. Yes. They're like, yeah. what do you do? And they're like, well, be polite. He's a Christian. And I'm like, <laughs> well, no kidding. <laughs> be polite. The man's here to tell you about Jesus. You should just start <laughs> believing in Jesus. Like, mm. come on, people. <clears throat> no. Well. Yeah. Anyway, I have a book review as well before we get on to our topic. Um, and this is a book called Energy by mm. Richard Rhodes. And uh, so he wrote, writes a human history on energy. Oh. I, I would find it interesting if he went all the way back to like the Roman Empire, but I think he mostly focuses on 1600s Britain right? and the transfer from um, <clears throat> wood to coal energy. Mm-hmm. And um, I've not finished the whole book, so I can't, I can't uh, recommend the whole book yet, but what I've read so far is quite fascinating and interesting Yes, to see the need for coal energy as compared to wood energy because mm-hmm. they were running out of trees in England and <laughs> yeah. they, they weren't really <laughs> replanting them. Um, and then to see all the inventions and the ways in which the Western world has advanced as a result of them digging for coal 
finding different gases in the coal mines. Yep. Um, our gas lamps, or before we had electricity, all the gas lamps came out of coal mines. Yep. Um, and it's really fascinating. Mm. Yeah, the, so, um, when, you, when you look at how much energy is available in, a, uh, for example, a cord of wood, it's not much. It's, yeah. it's only a couple hundred BTU. Uh, that's a British thermal unit. That's a measurement of heat energy available in a substance. Coal takes up less space to provide the same amount of energy. Like you it's could, a lot denser. It's a, it's a denser store of energy. And this is where the dramatic uh, increase in energy wealth happens is when you find more efficient um, methods of transport, storing and transporting energy. So you can take, I think it's like a wheelbarrow of coal, maybe half a wheelbarrow of coal, will do the same BTU as several cords of wood. So now if you're trying to make steam to, you know, power a big earth-moving shovel, right, like they did to dig the Panama Canal, right. or to run a train or to run a ship, now you need less material to provide the same energy. So if yeah. you have more material, you can go for the, like ships was, uh, shipping was the big one. My great-grandfather worked on coal-fired steamships back in the way back. <laughs> and we, there's, there's a picture floating around somewhere. I, don't, I think my mom has it. I'm not entirely sure. I think she has it. But it's a photograph of the Empress of Ireland's boilers. And uh, there were four of them on that ship, I think. And they put out a stupid amount of horsepower. <laughs> and it's this massive ship that uh, it sunk, unfortunately. Um, but... Uh, they were sh in the photograph. You can see the, the firebox at the bottom of the one boiler where the guys are going to shovel coal into. It's and the firebox is as big as the room we're in. Mm -hmm. And there was like four guys working in shifts with shovels and a big mountain of coal, and they're just shoveling this in. Right <laughs> now, <laughs> you take you take that 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 coal that you stuff your hold full of, and uh, you ask wind energy to do the same amount of work. And it can't. It can't. Mm -hmm. A sailing ship cannot move that much steel that yeah. fast for that long carrying that kind of cargo with that displacement. Mm -hmm. It can't do it. Yeah. So then when you you get to the, the dreadnought revolution in the 1890s, the British are starting to build these big old warships. They're like, we're going to... We've got this arms race with the Germans, right? With the mm -hmm. ships. Well, they start transitioning to diesel, and diesel has so much more energy per unit of storage than coal. It's not even funny. Mm -hmm. So you can interesting. Yeah, uh, one of the like when I used to run boilers, we would uh, we had tri uh, fuel boilers, so you could burn diesel, natural gas, or liquid propane on them. So the um, the the diesel, I believe. Now my numbers might not be correct anymore, but. The diesel had, I think, 23% more heating energy available per liter over the natural gas, I think. And the natural gas had about that over propane, yeah. I think. I'm not 100% on that. Uh, my brother-in-law would actually remember the numbers. But um, it's an order of magnitude greater. per. So a, a gallon of diesel will do for you what half a forest of trees will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the this this energy richness is the foundation of our wealth yeah. in material terms. Uh, I can I can drive a pickup truck 
from here to Fort St. John and back, right? That's a five-hour round trip. Mm-hmm. I can afford that. That's not too expensive. Mm-hmm. And I can go pick up a heavy object there. Like, let's say I want to buy something, like an engine right. for, my, for my car. I can buy it in Fort St. John and I can drive it back. Now, if I wanted to travel that distance 200 years ago, pick up something that heavy and move it. That would have been almost impossible. Almost impossible. Yeah. It's cost prohibitive. You just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like energy is one of the most interesting things in the world to me. <laughs> well, I also work awesome. on that. So anyway, I would, I would recommend that book yeah. uh, just as a, <clears throat> a history of energy. Just right. tell us what its name is again. Uh, it's called Energy. Energy. Yeah. Who does it? Richard Rhodes. R H O D E S. Rhodes. A guy, a guy by the name so. of Rhodes <clears throat> talking about energy. I wonder why. Yeah, they get along. They do. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're uh, while we're talking about energy, that's something that Danielle Smith has been uh, mm. going to battle for us over. This is true. Um, but there's actually something more important that has happened recently, and that is the mm. effort or at least an announcement that they intend to protect little children from transgender surgery in yes. the UCP government in Alberta. So this is, this a is good, quite something. This is a good turn. It's maybe not a complete turn, but it's a good turn. Uh, the news article I've got up here right now, and now this is from the CBC, so they really don't like this. Right. Uh, the Communist Broadcasting Corporation? Right. Of course they don't. Yeah. Uh, Alberta will prohibit hormonal treatment, puberty blockers, and gender-affirming surgery for, f- for children 15 years and younger. Premier Daniel Smith announced Wednesday in a video posted to social media. So uh, that Wednesday would be was, January 31st or 30th? Yeah, it was just the other day. Yeah. yeah so, yesterday. Was that? Oh, if it was yesterday, it was February 1st. Perfect. Oh, anyway, I don't so, know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, uh, this... Uh, and gender reassignment surgeries ban- will be banned for minors age 17. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So basically, uh, now the bill hasn't, hasn't gone to the House yet because the House next sits on the 28th. But uh, they're, they're kind of rolling this out to get all the fire over and done with before right. <laughs> they actually vote. <laughs> well, this is in part why we're doing this uh, this podcast episode because mm-hmm. what Danielle Smith is needs is, is she needs support from citizens of the country yeah. in, in, in this yeah, now, Now's the time to write your MLA about this and to yes. encourage this and more. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, like I, I wrote my MLA already. As soon as I heard this, uh, I actually ran across the, the news article on Twitter, I think, within 20 or 30 minutes of her making this announcement. Right. And so I immediately emailed my MLA, Mr. Weeb, and I said, hey, carry on. This is good. And, and Further up and further in, to quote uh, C.S. Lewis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to emphasize the good of this, I would just want to read two verses from Proverbs 31. So Lemuel is a king, and his mother is talking to him in Proverbs 31 and teaching him how to be kingly, mm-hmm. even before uh, we get to the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, so in Proverbs 31, verse 8 to 9, she says to him, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Mm. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So what greater good is there for a civil magistrate to do yes. than to open his mouth and say, no, you're not allowed to do surgery on minors, mutilate yep. minors. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the new uh, the new policy also prevents transgender women, so men with surgery masquerading as women, right. from competing in women's sports Yes, in Alberta. So, yeah, yeah. she's 
very clearly well, done and that's taken good. Some you know the, yeah. the the fact the fact that these things are, you know, that we're we're rejoicing over mm. these moves tells you what kind of a bizarre clown world we live in these days. Right. Yes. You can tell how far gone we are. What, what a, yeah. uh, what a nut house. What a <laughs> barbaric nation. Yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> a nut house. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Dear listeners of the Chinook podcast, you are living in a nut house. That this is even a thing discussed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the gospel must be brought to the barbarian hordes. Yes. Yes. So. No, so the, uh, the the thing that is uh, the thing that the churches really need to grab onto and push back at the cultural uh, flood that's that's rushing to perdition. The thing the churches really need to grab onto is that you, oh parishioner, you are what God tells you you are. Yes. Mm -hmm. You are not what you think you are. Uh, what you think about you is far less important than what God thinks about you. <laughs> and God demonstrated a lot of what he thinks about you by how he made you. Yep. Okay? Yep. Uh, his, it's not just an evaluation later on. God made you. Mm-hmm. God made you, and he made you in his image, and he made you male or female. Uh, those, are, those are deep, uh, foundational kinds of issues. Yeah, we're and, talking and, about and, your nature. Yes, and, and the church, when she fails to talk like that, uh, is complicit in, right. this, in this foolishness. Mm -hmm. When she fails to make distinctions like that, when we teach people the the Disneyfied version of the world, I mean, we, we've been taught this for a long, long time. Follow your heart. Follow your do, heart. Yes. Do your uh, like you can do whatever you want to do. Your dad doesn't know anything. You, and he's you can, foolish. Yes, you can yeah. be whatever you want to be. You know, we've been taught this, and it's been a it's been a a pile of garbage <laughs> that we've been taught for a long, long time. And this is where the little mermaid is all wrong. She doesn't get to become anything other than a mermaid, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was uh, when I was young, I think this was I'm still young, but um this Younger. was 25 or 26 years ago in Toronto, my dad was starting missionary work in Toronto, and one of um what one of his contacts that he was doing a Bible study with was a transgender man who was uh cross-dressing as a woman. So you shake his hand and it's like, "Oh, is this a man or a woman? Right. Anyway, they um they were <laughs> they were teaching the gospel and teaching the word to to this man, um and it, it was it was very important that as they were doing so that they were teaching us, you know what this is this is sin this is wrong and we're showing Christian grace and love to this this uh, man, mm -hmm. um but the it, it, the very important thing was was teaching us as children that that was not allowed. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was very important the way we grew up because we were taught uh, God made man in his image, male and female, who created them. Mm -hmm. So he made boys and girls, he made men and women. And um, then we were also taught Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, which is, I am not by my own, but belong with body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So you're taught an identity 
and you're taught reality, especially when you're constantly confronted and bombarded by all these lies that are happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is very important for Christians to be teaching their children who they are and uh, who they are as God created them, but also who they are in Christ. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, uh, the creation matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the other thing too, about this, uh, this recent uh, bill protecting children from these, uh, these mutilations mm-hmm. is um, that the, uh, it, it is, it is a halfway measure. It's not a whole way measure. It's not uh, everything I would want, mm-hmm. but it is, it is more than nothing. Yes. And, and that's something too, uh, some of the criticism I saw coming from our wing online was, well, you know, she hasn't gone far enough. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this is okay. True. She didn't forbid this kind of right. nonsense outright. It's forbidden for 17 and younger. Right. Uh, but again, the point of the attack has been on the children. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. at the point of contact, this this is a fight that matters. Mm-hmm. This is a fight that matters very much. Very much so. So she's she's not missed the target in yeah. that respect. But she isn't a Christian. Our premier isn't a Christian. Right. She's she's a a, a libertarian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and we all know that. And li- libertarians govern on the basis of consent. Yeah. So if a consenting adult consents, then then right, she would believe that that's probably fine. And she does. So, uh, yeah. And she's she's made that clear as well, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not talking about a a Christian magistrate here, but there's a lot of people in the party who've been who are Christians who've been pushing on this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that came out in the um, the UCP General Assembly last year was that they were going to push more policies of this type. And there, there have been some folks, you know, saying, well, she's just kind of, she's responding or pandering to her evangelical base. And it's like, well, she knows who tossed Jason Kenney out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She knows who did that. Yeah. She knows who voted her in. Yeah. She benefited from those same people. Yeah. So she knows exactly where her bread is buttered. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and it's with the evangelicals. So the there's good work happening here. It's not everything we would want, but it is a whole lot more than we were expecting, and yeah. it's a lot more than nothing. And I, I really do prefer Danielle Smith's way of doing something halfways to Rob Ford's way of not doing it at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's something to consider. Um, yeah. So, so in light of what Brad just said there, I have an article here on the reform perspective entitled Alberta Government Announces New Transgender Policies. Uh, there's a paragraph down there which I think states well what's still problematic. Um, <clears throat> it says, uh, children 16 and up will still be able to get hormones that may leave them irreversible, irreversibly sterile. Smith also announced efforts to advance transgender care for adults, so to actually advance it. Mm-hmm. Currently, Alberta residents seeking transgender surgeries have to travel to Quebec. Oh, well, that's good. Um, <laughs> Smith, that good. That's a long way away. Smith aims to change this by bringing specialists to Alberta to facilitate these genital mutilations within the province. It's important to care for those around us struggling with gender dysphoria, but it's not caring to harm a patient's body in an attempt to remake them into a gender they can never become. Yep. Right. Um, so that's, that states the problem with, with Danielle Smith's approach. Yeah. But I think we can still, um, Romans 12 says, uh, love what is good and hate what is evil. Yeah. Let's love what is good. Let's yeah. love what mm-hmm. she's doing right. Yeah. yeah, and protecting children is 100% right. And it's, yes. it's a much easier win 
to uh, to get from a tactical perspective because unbelievers still love their children. Yeah. And I know a lot of unbelievers that are looking at all this, the horrible stuff happening in schools, and they're 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 confused. They're dismayed. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't want my kid, you know, chopping off his genitals because his teacher is a communist. Like, yeah. well, and part of the thing, too, is uh, one of the things that I, I try to say to, like, my friends and coworkers when discussing this mm-hmm. is that the problem is in the schools with those teachers. Mm-hmm. You yeah. really have to understand that the entire, Entire public school apparatus in Alberta hates God, hates your children, and loves death. Yeah, which yeah yeah yeah, which I think brings us to an important question: is um, how much authority should the schools have in this? I read an article on Global News last night, and that article is entitled "Alberta Teachers School Groups Say They Weren't Consulted on Parental Rights Policy." Good. Well, why in the world would we <laughs> consult the teachers on a parental rights policy? This is yeah. parental rights. Yeah, this has to do with children, <laughs> not teachers. Yeah, I mean, this isn't about teachers' pay. You know, we're not talking about their pension. Yeah. So what 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 business do they have to comment? So so the unions and the teachers are all complaining now because the parents are actually given the authorities that God has given them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was yeah. a big plank in the uh, in the UCP policy revision last year. Okay. Was parental rights, and. Yeah. The ATA, the Alberta Teachers Association, was furious about that then too. Yeah. And Look, it, yeah. It, it overthrows or it undermines mm-hmm. badly yeah. the notion that they can just do whatever they want. And they're quite used to just doing whatever they want. Yes. Um, they really do consider that your children are theirs. Yes. Which like, is yeah. really creepy. Very. If, <laughs> if anyone else were to say to me, your, your children are mine. Yes. Right? Like, I would, I would be furious, uh-huh. but why, why am I okay with it when the teachers say it? <laughs> what, what yeah. is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to quote the inestimable R.C. Sproul, what's wrong with you what's people? Wrong with you people? <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we can say it all together. Yeah. What's, what's wrong, wrong with, with you people? people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This should be obvious. You know, when the obvious, uh, every great civilization falls, because it fails to remember obvious things, and and just remember, listener, we're being easy on the uh, we're being too easy on the teachers' unions here. Oh, far too easy. Yeah, this is uh, this is us being nice. We're playing nice here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, the f- the fact that a teacher can talk to a six year old or seven year old kid um, apart from the parents and say, "Yeah, you know what? You're a cat or a dog," or you're, right. you're not actually a boy. You're actually a girl. Is is incredibly evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, hey Johnny, do you think you're a cat? Yes. Oh, you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I've 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 been hearing stories even up here in Grand Prairie, which is a culturally conservative unit of uh, of kids having litter boxes in the school. Yeah. It's, so. Yeah. I don't I don't get it. Like it's just well, insanity. It, it is insanity. Like we, it's insanity, and it runs really, really deep. You know, when when the scripture says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, mm-hmm. if you reject Christ, where are you going to get wisdom and knowledge? Yeah. Where, where are you going to get it? You won't get it. What you'll get is foolishness and confusion. And our schools are full yep, of, of fool- foolishness and confusion. It sounds very much to me like Romans 1. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. very much so. So how should a uh, how should a Christian uh, consider like if I'm going to, for instance, if I'm going to write a letter to my MLA, and I want to uh, I want to endorse what's going on here, uh, how should I write that letter? How should I? Uh, um, what would I? What would be my basis? Uh, for for doing this, how, how how would I base my argument in order to in order to think Christianly? Right. How how am I going to base my arguments? Well, I because our MLA is uh, UCP. I emailed him to support. Right? right. Carry on with what you're doing, and he's also a Christian. Uh, he he's uh, a member of one of the local churches. So for me, it was support. Right. Right. Do this, push this over the line, make this push happen. this as far as you can push it. Yes, exactly. Right. Should we say why? Absolutely. Okay. I told the man I am a Christian, a father, and a churchman, and I am against uh, all this garbage, and I am for protecting uh, children from it. Yeah. So it's okay to be unashamedly Christian oh, when yes. you're writing a letter to uh, a civil magistrate. Uh, another thing too, I would say is do not write a long letter. These guys don't have time. Right. These, these are just practical things that I've, I've learned over the years. Don't write long letters to your MLA. They don't have time to read long letters. Get to the point now. Three, right. paragra- three paragraphs maximum. Yeah. Uh, no spelling errors, no punctuation errors. Uh, no, uh, do not grovel. That... Okay. Some people, they, they get this weird, and I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> what's wrong with you people? They, they start writing emails to men in positions of authority, and they're just sniveling all over the floor. And I'm like, please, introduce yourself, okay? Introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. I am Brad Donovan. I am you know a Christian father, churchman from Grand Prairie, one of your, one of your constituents. If you've got a relationship with them already, that's really marvelous. Mm-hmm. By the way, you should have a relationship with them already of some sort. But if you don't, establish the relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm one of your constituents, or I live in your city, or... Walk into their office and shake their hand. Walk into their office and physically shake their hand and, and say, good job. Uh, but in terms of the email, establish your relationship. Maybe maybe you know their cousin. Mention the fact that their cousin's, you know, a bonehead or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but then immediately say what you want to say. Say it. No sniveling, no rolling around on the floor writing a 14-paragraph homily on how a Christian should be subservient to the government or some, stu- like I've seen right. some really wildly so one, stupid emails. One Don't thing, do that. One thing that I saw during COVID is that people would preface their letters to the government with like five paragraphs about, uh, how difficult the job of a magistrate oh, is. Yeah. And, don't, and, no, don't do that. <laughs> never do that. I no, it's never like, do that. Oh. I, I, he, know, he knows how difficult he, he is. How difficult he, is. he doesn't have to yeah. be told. And, and, and you writing five paragraphs about how difficult it is makes it worse. It's like, the sin of empathy. It is. Don't do that. Just get to the point. You should have one paragraph introducing yourself, one paragraph saying what you want to say, and then finish it off nice and tight and send. Like, get to the point. Say, thank you for what you're doing and wish them God's blessing. Exactly. Like, and wisdom and courage. And if they're an NDP MLA... Well, then just rebuke. I mean, but three, <laughs> three paragraphs, three paragraphs. 
Uh, you don't... It, <laughs> here's the thing. If the body of your email has to be longer than the title of your email... We should email, do a full podcast on oh, writing emails, too. Okay, yes, <laughs> we should. And I like... Because people will always go on the internet and they'll publish their, their, their email that they sent to their MLA. See, look what I wrote. And nine times out of ten, I'm like, you could have... You could have chopped this down to three sentences <laughs> and said more. Like I've sent emails to people where the email was shorter than the title of the email. Like, come on, people. <laughs> say what you mean, mean what you say, move on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Nathan, you're absolutely right. Go go into the go into your MLA's office. You can Google where the office is. Yeah. Go in, walk in, shake his hand, be I like, mean, hey. Most of the time they're willing to mm have a, a brief chat with most yeah. most average Joes on the street. They're busy, but they also know that their main job is representing you. Yeah. So they make time for you. And they know where their votes come from. Yeah. And if you if you get a hold of them and you say, hey look, we might not have time to talk now, but let's go out for coffee next week. Pick a time. Your MLA will set aside half an hour for you. Mm -hmm. That's literally his job. And if he doesn't, rebuke him <laughs> and vote that bum out. So the another another good uh, a good thing to remember in these in these political disputes is if you don't show up to volunteer for events, you don't have a voice. Show up. Yeah. So uh, in my case, I've very often um, been involved in scrutineering. On election day, sitting in the in the in the polling booth, making sure that the deputy returning officer isn't cheating us out of votes. Right, uh, that's something you can do because right? Alberta still doesn't have an electronic ballot. Thank God, I yes. am deadly opposed to those things. Uh, yeah. it's much much harder to game paper ballots mm -hmm. than it is electronic ballots. But um, yeah, volunteer. So door knocking, stamp licking. That's actually a thing, right? You got to put. Uh, you don't have to lick the stamps anymore. They come self adhesive, but right. you still got to put them on the paper. Right. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Volunteer, show up, <laughs> do things. Uh, when less they, surgeries necessary from later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I lick too many stamps. Yeah. So the uh, like, there are things that you can do to um, to volunteer, to show up, to demonstrate involvement, and then you get. You get access at a level that someone who sits at home and plays video games and eats potato chips and does nothing more, you get a level of access to the levers of power than, that they will never know hmm. simply because you show up, right? Yeah. Simply because you show up. Simply because you care. Yep. You care. You spent 45 minutes out of your life doing a thing or right. three hours, whatever it was. So show up. And then, uh, and then, like these policies, this policy about uh, preventing children from being surgically and chemically mutilated. Right. This policy comes from people who they who voted with up. their time. They they showed up. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is the grassroots. This is this is dudes like me. This is dudes like you guys it's just showing up, saying, "Hey, you know, this is what we believe." Oh, by the way, here I'll help you put up your campaign signs. Right. That that means that means a lot. So um, as we as we move onwards, should we talk a little bit about what exactly parental rights are? Mm. Well, are they very clearly defined in law? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure because Canada, yeah. Canada, in some ways, rights can mean anything at times. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> well, the uh, yeah, yeah it, rights my, are a fluid thing here. Yeah, the uh, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, it seems this way to me that when when that was brought in in 1982 under Pierre Trudeau, mm. uh, it was um, it was rooting uh, our understanding of law in that which is shifting and not that which is solid. Right. Okay. Uh, and and this is borne out in in the need to find ways to do policies about not mutilating <laughs> children. You know, yeah. That was that would have been self-evident. Mm-hmm. You don't mutilate children yeah. uh, in in an earlier day, but legally in Canada, yeah, there's no the the uh, the foundation for law was kind of turned into this soup mm-hmm. that yeah. that gets that you can get anything out of there. Uh, well, anything bad out of there. You can't right. get anything good out of there. You can get anything bad. Well, for for any American listener, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms has more uh, to say about whether or not you have the right to speak French than own property. Yeah. Right. Uh, it. Yeah, property is actually not even protected. Really, neither is um, things like uh, conscience rights. Parental rights. Parental rights. Yeah, they're not really, there's no strong protection there, and intentionally so. Right. In fact, the um, one of the uh, tranny activist groups responding to this proposed bill said they're going to launch a constitutional challenge. Right. That's insane. Yeah, because, and well, they, they understand rightly that the- They the, understand rightly. They will yeah. likely win that constitutional yeah. challenge. The, the transgender yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. community. Yeah. Okay. Because the, they likely will because, they the, because the foundation is not on the law word of God. The foundation yes. is floating. Yeah. So you would say then that Canada has, um, has leaned more in the direction of the French revolutionary idea of rights than the American idea of rights. Oh, very definitely. Which are the American rights are more bound in, in timeless, um, divine truths. Yeah. Whereas well, the French revolutionary rights are, are bound up in the will, the, the changing will of the people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There, the, uh, we, we understand that we do have, uh, rights and responsibilities as Christians. Yes. You know, we, because we've got an authoritative standard, right? God is our highest authority. We, we have a standard on which we can uh, we can say what's a right and what's not. Uh, <clears throat> rights usually in the scriptures, uh, if you want to call them rights, I mean, there, there's a good case for just not even talking in that kind of language. But uh, responsibilities are given to yeah. us by God. So... Uh, I have a responsibility before God uh, to bring up my children in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, I, as a father, that's something that God gave directly to me. And so do I have a right to do that? Well, yeah, I, there's, a, there's a way in which I would think that that's a right. It's a command from God, and God didn't give that job to the teacher at the school, he gave that job to me. Yeah. Uh, and so 
so there's a there's a line of authority. I, I guess that's probably where I would would rather go. Yeah. What what lines of authority enable you to uh, <clears throat> to speak against child mutilation? Yeah. It, it seems to me that it comes down to being an authority issue. Uh, has God said or has God not said? You know, for the Christian, our answer is from the scriptures uh, that children are not to be messed with. They are to be raised in faith. They are to be raised, uh, kept safe, protected. You know, we, we can derive that over and over from the scriptures. Yeah. Well, and I think if you look at scripture, <clears throat> where you see that word for right, um, it can also be translated as authority. Yeah. So if you, if you talk about parental authority, um, one of the initial authority structures right from the creation was the authority of father and mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exodus 20 verse um, uh, five, I think it is, that right. talks about the fifth commandment. Mm-hmm. It might be a little later. Um Again, that talks about parents as being one of the central authorities in society. So when the government says we are the final authority, um, they're basically overrunning um, rights or authorities that God has set into into creation. Yes. So, so the transgender person who brings a constitutional challenge to these these things that the uh, that has just been put forward in Alberta. Uh, he believes that he has a right to do this. On what is his right based? A figment of his imagination. And a figment of Pierre Trudeau's imagination that mm. that grew up in and was was turned into the law of the land mm-hmm. in 1982. Uh, where his his rights, his uh, his authority to do what he does, is based in him. It's not based in the law of God. It's not based in something that's solid and something that lasts. Mm. It's in something that's fleeting. Yeah, but f- because that is the law, or because that is the the foundation of law in Canada, he's got a really good chance of winning a case that mm-hmm. he would bring like that. Yep. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a problem. I remember talking one time with our MP, our member of parliament, uh, Mr. Workington, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about the Supreme Court, and he said that those guys see themselves in Canada as being um, revolutionary Judges. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they see themselves that way. And th- this was the language that our MP used. Mm-hmm. So they see themselves as being revolutionary. They don't, uh, they don't see themselves as judging according to the standard of law, but they see themselves as being the changers, makers, and shapers of law. Yeah. Which is wild to me. I mean, I'm, our MP said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the, uh, yeah, Supreme Court challenges. So the highest authority is the government, not God. Yep, exactly. And that's why Supreme Court challenges in Canada uh, have often or almost always gone 
in the direction of the left. Right. And it's also why then Christians need to start learning how to think mm-hmm. in terms of the law of God. Mm-hmm. We need to start learning how to think in terms of the scriptures being the final authority. Yeah, the UCP government needs good counselors, and if Christians are not uh, counseling the UCP mm-hmm. on on what to do and how to lead, then right. then we are going to continue this descent into uh, insanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that um, I think was made clear during the the COVID thing is that many of the Christian counselors that the premier had were giving him terrible counsel. Yeah, they were. I mean, yeah. he he was told by reformed guys down south that he should be arresting pastors yeah. for COVID violations. So again, we we need, according to the Word of God, I think is is the key principle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, you just, okay. just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you, uh, you right. can judge rightly. <laughs> we, we need to be thinking in terms of what does the Bible say? Okay. We need to be thinking in terms of the law of God, and we need to be thinking of it not just as an esoteric sideline. It's not, mm. it's not a useless thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you might look at it and say, well, it's useless to do that because that's not the law of the land. Uh, the law of the land is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Right. Well, right now. Right yeah, now. Right now. <laughs> We're post So so let let's start thinking long term. Mm-hmm. What does a what does a society that honors God look like? And According wh- to the word of God, what does it look like? And then drive that direction. And then drive in that direction. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, don't expect instant victory. Mm-hmm. But but you, oh Christian, and me, oh Christian, you really need your mind renovated by the Word of God, so that that becomes the standard by which you understand things, and that becomes the standard to which you are driving, culturally speaking. Mm-hmm. And then the obvious things can be obvious again. Yeah. Then the obvious thing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Confusion is 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 a it's a tactic and a tool of of the enemy, yeah. of Satan. And I and I think what Christians should realize along the lines of what Jamie was just talking about is um, I think sometimes Christians are embarrassed of the mm-hmm. biblical standard. Yep. But really, if if we love God's law in the way that David loved God's law in Psalm 119, mm-hmm. I think the world is going to see that. Unbelievers are going to see that, and they're going to say, wow, there really is something beautiful about that law. Mm-hmm. And they might not be converted yet at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully that leads to their conversion as well. But ultimately, the, the unbeliever is going to look and, and see and say, uh, there actually is something beautiful and good for society in that law of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the the embarrassed Christian, the Christian embarrassed of of what the Bible has to say, mm-hmm. has zero zero strength. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they they don't have any voice. Nobody respects them. Compromised Christian. Yeah, if if you're if you're so embarrassed about the Bible, uh, you need to repent of that. Mm-hmm. There, there's no. There's no uh, 
There's no moral strength in that. There's no spiritual strength in that. There's yeah. no cultural strength in that. Like you, you've you've chopped your own legs off. Yeah. But you you stand by God's word. You've yeah. just chopped your legs off by being embarrassed about this this yeah. marvelous and good thing. Yeah. So set it in your heart that you will not be embarrassed about anything in the scripture. I, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to study. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to learn. Yep. Um, but but there's nothing in there of which you ought to be embarrassed. Exactly. Uh, there are there is a great deal in there which needs to be the law of the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we're, we're facing issues right now about having to, having to set a policy to keep us from mutilating children, <laughs> to keep us from doing it. What madness. What, what world do we live in? Yeah. It's, it, it's crazy. This is a crazy world. This is not a world I want. No. This is not a world that, as a Christian, that I can endorse. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. This is an awful thing. It's an awful place when that kind of ideology runs the land. Mm-hmm. Remember Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. She says, all who hate me love death. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is a death culture. Mm-hmm. All who hate me love death. So when I'm looking at the, um, you know, the complaints of the transgender activists about yeah. this bill, I'm like, ah, you love death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when I look at the complaints of the left, you love death. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the people trying to do these surgeries, you love death. Mm-hmm. The teachers, you love death. Yeah. Yeah. And repent. Repent and believe. Be instructed in the word. Yes. Be baptized, be discipled. Yeah. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Like, they're, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All who hate me love death. Remember that. Lady Wisdom was not a liar. Well, I think this is a vision that 90% of Canadian society at least can buy into. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. And we definitely, definitely believe in this thing. That, uh, that God rules, that his word is true, that we should rule according to his, wor- his word. We should live according to his word. We should make judgment according to his word. Yeah. Like this is... And that my children belong to him. Exactly. And yes. he's given me the authority to, uh, to protect them yeah. Yeah. And from and this to crazy them. world. <laughs> and to educate them. And to them, educate yes. them, yes. Yeah, and, and yeah. Not, not merely authority, but also responsibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. On judgment day... If I fail to educate my children, I will answer for that. Yes. If I fail to protect my children from demoniac surgeons, I will answer for that. Mm-hmm. Like this is actually serious. Yeah. So, uh, so take it as such. Well, how much we, more do we have to say? Uh, I, think, I, don't I know. think we've. Uh, I think we've said. It. I think we've. Exhausted ourselves on this. <laughs> uh, we are the Chinook Podcast. It is a delight for us to get together and have conversations about a number of things. Uh, we've done a great, uh, a great number of uh, episodes where we're walking through the scriptures, and we're going to continue that process 
uh, that's a delightful process to me. Mm. Uh, the the ideas that we just gave you in terms of how to think politically, you really need your mind renewed by the Word of God. Yes. And so uh, I would commend those to you. Mm. Uh, go and listen to our Genesis series. and uh, Those are some of my favorite episodes yeah, to record. Those I'm are really mine. enjoying that. Yeah. I, I'm really loving it. So uh, blessings to you all uh, from the Chinook podcast uh, here in Grand Prairie. Uh, we desire that you walk uprightly before the Lord and that you delight yourself in him. Have a good day. Day.